Okay, the reading today is from Philippians 4, chapter 4, verses 10 to 23. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts he sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Thank you, Abby, for bringing us God's word. Good afternoon. My name is Glenn Burns. I'm the assistant minister here. Please keep um, Philippians chapter 4 open in front of you. Let me pray, and then we'll get stuck into God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Lord, we thank you for how Philippians has fed us spiritually over this past few weeks. And Lord, we ask once again that you will feed us today. Lord, help us to grow. Help us to be encouraged and to be challenged, to be shaped by your word, so that we can be sent out in the power of your spirit to serve Christ, to know him and honour him. So Lord, help us now to know Jesus, Jesus, in your name. Amen. It was back in 2012 when I was asked to lead worship at a youth conference in Northern Ireland. Um, but there was a catch. And the catch was is that I had to pay for my own way to get there and to serve. Now here's the problem with that. I was unemployed at that time. Um, and I had just lost my job as a studio technician in the recording studio through redundancy. I was also on a surgery waiting list, which meant that every job I applied for afterwards meant that I had to declare that I was waiting to go into hospital. Um, every time I got rejected for jobs, it felt like nobody wanted me. I was dejected. I was broke. I had no money. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was already in too deep by agreeing to do um, the job at this youth conference, and I coordinated everything up until this point. I felt absolutely helpless. But the week before that weekend, I went to drop off my declarations to the Dole office, and I met the postman on the way out the door, and he gave me the mail. Now, I didn't think to um, throw it into the house, because I was walking out as he was coming to me. 
I decided to carry it with me for some reason. And I couldn't be bothered opening it there and then. But after I dropped off my slip to say that um, I couldn't find a job that week, I looked through the mail and I found an envelope addressed to me. And when I opened that envelope, there was a check for just enough money for me to go and serve on that conference, to serve the Lord, and to minister there through music. And I learned a very important lesson that day. God provides all that we need to serve Him, and all we need is to be content in trusting Him alone. Now, it's easy for us to know to be content, but contentment doesn't happen overnight. In fact, As we've walked through Philippians, we've been on a bit of a journey with Paul himself. Paul who sits in prison here. Back in chapter 1, he takes us to his predicament in chapter 1. As he shows us that this is for the gospel to go out and he lives for Christ. He reminds us of who this Christ is in chapter 2. As he takes us to the dizzying heights of who Jesus is in his humility and then as his ascended glory. And as we trace Paul's life through chapter 3. He recognizes the worthlessness of himself in that reality check and his accomplishments compared to the joy of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. You see, Paul learned a lot. But more importantly, he learned to be content in Christ. And in chapter 4, we're going to see here what it means to be content in Christ in verses 10 to 13. And then afterwards, um, we're going to see how that contentment encourages us to give generously through the gospel In verses 14 to 19. Just as the Philippian church did. So with that in mind. Let's get stuck in and see how like Paul. We can firstly learn to be content in Christ. Learn to be content in Christ. Now I don't know if you've ever had a houseplant. That you've forgotten about. That's wilted and dying in the corner. Some of you may have. I'm seeing guilty faces here for murder of your plants but um, when you see that plant dying there you show it a bit of TLC you remove the dead leaves and you water it and then all of a sudden it just springs up into life well much like a revived plant here Paul speaks of his great joy in the Lord in verse 10 look at verse 10 with me Paul says this I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed or revived your concern for me and this, 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 this concern from the Philippians is made known through Epaphroditus. They knew Paul's need. And although they couldn't do anything about it at the time, Paul was still moved by their compassion. And so he wants to encourage them. Because although he appreciates their compassion in the Lord in verse 10, he wants to remind them and encourage them that he is something greater and something more substantial than money. Look at verses 11 to 12 of me here. Paul says this. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of contentment in any and every situation. Whether well fed or hungry. Whether living in plenty or in want. You see, Paul has learned the secret of contentment in verse 12. And the secret of contentment in verse 11 helps him to be satisfied no matter what. This wasn't instantaneous. But this was something that Paul learnt and understood with every situation he found himself in. 
whether it was being in desperate need, or whether it was being abundantly rich. You see, we can even see this if we take ourselves back to Paul's first time in Philippi back in Acts chapter 16. When he was singing praises with Silas in prison cell before the earthquake came, and that led to the Philippian jailer coming to faith. Or if he was sitting at the meal table of Lydia, the wealthy businesswoman whom Paul said with. You see, Paul knew both the highs and lows of life. But in all those things, Paul learned what mattered most. You see, the secret of contentment that the Stoic philosophers of that time strived to understand and they wanted to obtain, Paul learnt it in his experiences. He learnt it because of the one who brought him this far and has him in chains for the gospel. Look at verse 13. I'm sure it's a familiar verse to many of you. Paul says this, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. In other words, his life is only possible because of Christ. The one who empowers him, the one who equips him, the one who sustains him, the one who is enough. Paul isn't just doing these things through Christ though. I found it interesting that when I looked at every English translation, both modern and ancient, um, it translates this as through him. Whereas in the original language, it's directly translated as in him who strengthens me. You see, Paul is sustained not just through Christ, but by being in Christ. And being in Christ isn't like being in a gang or a part of a club or a team. You see, being in Christ means far much more for the Christian believer. As circumstances don't affect who they, who they are in their identity. I think R. Kent Hughes puts it helpfully when he says this. For Paul, if he is brought low, he is a man in Christ. If Paul abounds, he is a man in Christ. In any and every circumstance, Paul is a man of Christ, a man in Christ. And as a man in Christ, Paul can do all things. As a man in Christ, he is, regard, um, he is content regardless of the situation. And for us today, it's exactly the same, isn't it? Those who are in Christ know the security and rest that the Lord provides for his people every day, regardless of what they're going through whether good or bad. I remember chatting to someone back home who had suffered with multiple cirrhosis. And because of his incurable condition, he struggled to walk. He lost his job. It delayed his cognitive thinking and his reactions. And furthermore, this condition led to his marriage falling apart and he lost his home. Now, to many of you, that sounds like a life that is falling apart and not only lacks security, but lacks joy. But every time I see David, every time I see him, I always walk away feeling encouraged. Because his hope and his joy is never found in circumstances or the idea that he could be better one day or that his marriage would be resolved. But because he is in Christ, he can say with confidence each day that he will get through it. Because in Christ, he can do all things. You see, this verse isn't a confidence booster that helps us to achieve whatever we set out to do. 
This isn't a verse that that we read to ourselves when we need a little pick-me-up. This verse sums up the triumphant spirit of the believer who is marked by grace and is filled with inexpressible joy in Christ. You see, in Christ, we have everything that belongs to the King of all kings. The one who calls us to follow him and entrusts us with our little lives. In Christ, we have all that we need. For Christ is enough. And Paul learned that knowing Christ was the key to living with true everlasting contentment each day. Now I like Formula One racing. But I've never got into NASCAR racing. I've watched it once and it doesn't look that exciting. You go round and round and round and round in a circle. Someone put it as you just turn left. But... Those cars are doing 200 miles an hour. Imagine driving that speed around London going left the whole time. But there's a saying here in NASCAR that I find really helpful. Either you focus or you end up hitting something really hard. Now, the same goes for the Christian believer as well. If we are in Christ, if Christ is our be-all and he is enough, we must focus on him. Focus on Jesus. Focus on Christ every day. Spend time getting to know him through his word. Pray to him always. Focus and see what Christ is doing in this world around us today. See what Christ is doing through his church in this world today. And learn of his sovereignty in your life. If you lose focus, you will hit something really hard. You will hit something that's full of sin. You will be discontent. Your heart will turn into a wreckage and will look like an insurance write-off. But focus on Christ and you will find strength to face each and every day. And Paul compares the strength to the equivalent of a dynamite going off. You see, God's power is dynamite that's explosive in our hearts. It causes us to combust with joy. The contentment in Christ isn't just a secret to life. It's an eternal source of fuel that helps us to live each and every day in the gospel. And so Paul wants to encourage the Philippian church and us to do just that. And so not only are we to be content in Christ and learn to be content in Christ, but because of that contentment, we are also to give generously in partnership through the gospel. We are to give generously in partnership through the gospel. And we see that here in verses 14 to 20. Let's see again what Paul says to the Philippian church in verses 14 to 16. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance in the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Now, do you see how Paul was encouraged and uplifted by the Philippians' generosity here? They were so willing to give to Paul, not just once, but again in verse 16, whenever he was in need. And Paul compares this generosity and giving or or sharing in verse 14 to partaking or partnering. And it seems like Paul is so encouraged because their generosity didn't take ages to happen. It wasn't like they had to be told to be generous either. 
Instead, they took the initiative shortly after they came to faith in verse 15. And they freely shared what they had with Paul. And it's not like Paul is desperate either. Look at what he says in verse 17. Paul says this, Not that I desire your gifts, but I desire what is... uh, Excuse me. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. You see, Paul is once again experiencing the provision and prosperity of the Philippian church blessing him. But his desire is that their gifts will not go unnoticed by God. Because in one to partner with Paul and the gospel, they are partaking in the joy that Paul too longs to know that we looked at in Philippians 3 just a few weeks ago. That they would continue to know Christ and know him fully. And that in their giving, that their gifts would be known as, look at verse 18, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Now, Summer is just around the corner. One of my favourite things about summer, which many of you will agree, is barbecue season. Isn't it? You know what I'm talking about? That smell of meat drifting through the air. The smell of burgers, sausages, chicken, steak. I'm salivating here. If you're a vegetarian, I'm sorry you don't feel the same way I do. But it might be a different pleasing aroma to you. It might be the smell of a fresh bouquet of flowers. It might be the scent of your wife's perfume or your husband's aftershave if you're married. It could be freshly brewed coffee in the mornings. It could be freshly washed sheets or the fresh um, ocean breeze. You see, there's something about a pleasing scent that stirs us and makes us smile. Now, giving money for the sake of giving money to God won't please Him. It's the posture of your heart behind your giving and the motive why you give. You see, the Philippians knew that their salvation was based not in what they had in themselves. Like Paul said earlier in his letter, all those things that we have and own are rubbish compared to knowing Christ. But because the Philippians had gained so much joy in knowing Jesus through the gospel, they held lightly onto their wealth. And they freely gave to those in need out of their desire to help for the sake of the gospel. And Paul is saying, not only does he acknowledge this, but their selfless act of giving is warm and pleasing scent that drifts up to the throne room of God. And God smells it. He's delighted with them. Because they're generous and wanting to partner with Paul in the gospel as it's proclaimed. Now what makes us truly generous people? Is it our desire to be known as generous? Is it our ambition to do what we can with our money in order to make a real difference in the world? Now it's reported that Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft, has so far donated $27 billion towards all sorts of charity endeavours. But all of Bill Gates' wealth is a drop in the ocean compared to the wealth and worth of Christ, the eternal King of Heaven. Christ who humbled himself in his eternally divine nature as God, coming to earth to give life for us so that we could be known as God's people. 
And now Christ is exalted to the highest point of heaven where he reigns. And everything ultimately belongs to him. But he freely shares it with us as his people who are in him. Now because of who Christ is, we have all that we need and all that he freely gives. Everything you own, your house, your car, your job, your family, your bank account, it's freely given to you by Christ. And more than that, your security, your joy in Christ, his forgiveness, his freedom from sin, his reward of eternal life, his love and compassion and belonging in the family of God, they outweigh all of those other earthly material things. You see, because of this, Giving was easy for the Philippians. Because giving didn't just mean contributing to the gospel work Paul was doing, but giving was a response to the generosity and gifts that Christ offers us day by day in his grace. Every time you give something, whether it's a little or a lot, it's a reminder of what Christ gives you. Yes, Christ gives you much, much more, and you will never equal that. But you can give freely because Christ gave his life for you. There's no obligation. There's no catch. Every time you give, whatever it is, it is pleasing to God. And I must stress that it doesn't earn you anything with God either. That's not what Paul means in verse 17 when he says, Not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. What Paul is saying here there is that the Philippians are storing up treasures for themselves in heaven and not on earth. For where their hearts are, that's where their treasure is. You see, their hearts are with Paul in partnership. Their hearts are with the gospel and its need to go out. And their hearts are ultimately with and in Christ. In whom their joy is made complete. Now we've heard... An appeal about um, um, this lady Irene in Ukraine. But think about how else we can freely give to those in need around the world. We already give invaluable gospel work across the Middle East and Europe and Africa and the resources they need. But those extra needs, how can we be quick to give? How can we be quick to support in partnership, not just those around the world, not just those in the Czech Republic, not just those in the Middle East, but how can we give to near, near to us as well? In the UK, in England, in, in Wales or the North where there's real gospel need. In Scotland where the gospel is flourishing in deprived areas. And in Ireland where, according to statistics, is the least evangelized country in Europe today. Now, I was really encouraged to hear about some of the efforts that our brothers and sisters in central city churches in London here are making to ensure that locals, um, smaller local churches in London are being financially supported by creating funds. Not only that, but churches in London are partnering actively with churches in the north of England to make sure that the gospel goes out. Are we too committed to seeing gospel work happen? I don't just think we are, by the way. I know we are. And I know we are because I've already seen your generosity. Wages reminded us of your generosity just whenever we had that appeal a couple of years ago. 
I have seen the things that many of you have done and are doing behind the scenes. I have seen it because I have received it firsthand. I thank you for that. And many of us don't know what you're doing, but the Lord knows what you're doing. And your efforts are a pleasing and fragrant aroma to him. Keep honouring him. Keep giving selflessly of your time, of your resources, and keep giving selflessly of yourselves. Because your giving is not in vain, but is to honour Christ and his people where they may be found. And to ensure that the gospel goes out to the ends of the earth. See, your giving is good, and we know that the Lord doesn't need it. But he rejoices in you when you do it in any small way. Just think about that for a second. Not only can you rejoice in the Lord, but he also rejoices in you. And you can be confident to freely give because, look at verse 19. God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So be content in Christ. Be content in all that he gives. And in contentment, give generously as we partner together in the gospel. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, forgive us for the times that we take for granted the privileges and the wealth that we have each and every day. For the things that we we know that we have compared to others around the world. And yet, Father, you teach us that contentment is not found in our possessions. Contentment is not found in our circumstances or our health. But contentment is found purely in Christ and Christ alone. Lord, help us to know the joy of knowing Jesus each and every day. As we've looked at this book in Philippians, Lord, we have been encouraged to see that Christ is enough. He is enough not just for our salvation, but he is enough for our every need. And so, Lord, help us to live in that necessity to make Jesus known to many of us. Lord, to help them to know the riches of Christ in his glory and to help them know that in Christ we can have everything given to us freely because Christ is enough for every need. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, challenge us with it. Encourage us and press it upon our hearts and help us to live in the hope of knowing that Christ supplies our every need and God is with us always. In Jesus' name, amen.